Welcome to Pioneering Today with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, heirloom gardening, how to preserve your food at home, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies that anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. Welcome to the show today, guys. So we are in the dead of summer here, which I don't know about you, but it also when we're in the summertime, means a lot of preserving and canning. Uh, so we have been, um, our berries are coming on super strong right now. Um, raspberries, I just finished up, and then the blueberries are just loaded the bushes, uh, which I'm really grateful. This is our largest harvest that we've ever had with our blueberries. Um, our blueberry plants are about five years old, and blueberries are one of those funny plants that um, they are long-lived plants, but they have a shallow root system, so it takes them a few years, kind of like a fruit tree, um, it's a bush style, obviously, because they're blueberries, um, but it takes them a few years before they really start to produce a good harvest, so the first few years, you actually want to um, pinch the blossoms off and not have it start fruiting so that it puts all of its energy down into the roots um, so that you have a really good, strong, healthy plant. So I'm happy because this is the first year we've had a really, really good harvest. Um, so I'm super excited to be putting all those blueberries up because we adore blueberries. It's one of our favorites. But because we went through um, strawberries already, rhubarb, raspberries coming into the blueberries and then we'll be hitting um, the apples and blackberries. Um, today's episode I wanted to talk to you guys about how to make homemade jams and jelly like a pro. Um, so I don't know about you but one of the things that I can't stand about a lot of traditional jam recipes that you come across um, especially if you're using like the store-bought pectin and that kind of a thing is a lot of those jams and jelly recipes use this huge amounts of sugar for the set. I mean, we're talking, sometimes you see there's more sugar than there is fruit. Uh, that's just crazy. That is too much sugar. <laughs> just say no. Um, and then a lot of the jams and jellies that you buy in the store, unfortunately, if you start looking at the ingredients on them, they'll use um, high fructose corn syrup. Yuck. Um, and sometimes we'll even put extra food dye in there to enhance the color. Um, and I just think that the least amount of ingredients that you can have when you're making a recipe is usually the best. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we don't like anything with high-fructose corn syrup. Um, one, because it's um, it's not naturally made when it's high-fructose. Um, they've altered it. And then two, most of the corn syrups, unless it's certified organic or it says GMO-free on it, is made from um, GMO corn because unfortunately in the United States, most of the corn crops are genetically modified um, due to corn is one of those that has a really high cross-pollination. Um, it can cross-pollinate up to five miles, so it's really hard to keep corn strains pure. And because there's so many large corn fields that use genetically modified in the United States, um, it's kind of hard to find pure corn strains. So, most likely, if anything is made from a corn product and it's not organic 
or certified non-GMO, then it's going to be genetically modified. So that's another reason that I like to stay far, far, far away from hexosis corn syrup um, amongst others. So if you're not really sure about the whole genetically modified thing, um, you can go to memorisecleanorse.com and click on the podcast button and you can go back through our previous episodes. And I have um, an entire episode on genetically modified food, what it means to the food supply, why we don't want anything to do with it at our home, and how to avoid it. So you can check that out there. And then you can also check out the resource section on each of the podcast episodes, and that's available at lexcleanorse.com as well. So anything you hear me talking about um, and you want to learn more about it um, in the resource notes section of the show, you can go and I will have links to those things, so that's there for you to check out as well. So yeah, today I'm super excited to talk about jams and jellies because that is one of the things that I have not purchased from the store. Oh, I'm thinking here. I'm going to say at least, at least for 10 years, um, we haven't purchased jams and jellies from the store. So that's one of the things that I always make at home and I always make enough of to last us through the whole year until we come back into the season again for the specific fruit. Um, and then one of the things that I really like about doing homemade jams, jellies, and syrups, um, you know, marmalades, that kind of a thing, is unlike most of the produce, so like when our garden's coming on strong, for us here um, in Pacific Northwest where I'm at, the majority of my garden produce comes on through the end of July through beginning mid-September. Um, so that's when the major harvest for us comes on. And so with the vegetables, um, for all of my preserving, especially with my canning, all of that needs to be canned fresh. So that means pretty much every night, especially through August, that's my crazy month, um, I am canning every single night. So when I get home from work, I'm doing a run of beans um, or whatever I have and then on the weekends. So I do a lot of canning from August time. And because with most of your vegetables, it needs to be preserved right when you harvest it um, for the best results. So, especially in regards to canning, you know, most things you can't um, freeze, like green beans, you can freeze green beans, but you can't freeze green beans, then thaw them, and then can them. They're going to be super mushy, and that's a lot of extra work, and yuck. But the fabulous thing about jams and jellies and things that are made from fruit and berries is you can totally freeze your berries and then when you have time you can go back and make the jams and jellies so if you're super busy and you just do not have time or it's too hot we have like this weird really hot spell and the early part of july here like we actually had a day that was 100 degrees and so in the pacific northwest that's like really rare especially in july um, so I totally can sympathize with all you who live in the hot states. Um, I totally know what you're talking about. So I had like, um, I think I had like 20 cups of raspberries and there was just no way I was getting that hot water bath dinner going on and making my jam and jelly. It was just too hot in the house. So I tossed them all in the freezer for when I knew it would cool off eventually. Um, and it took about a week and a half. So then we had a big old jam making marathon <laughs> so that I had my freezer space back. But um, berries are excellent. You can use them, put them, pass them in the freezer, and then you can pull them out later, um, and you're going to thaw them. And kind of the cool trick is when you're doing that is frozen berries, once thawed, let their juices out um, a lot more easier. So if you're making um, jelly or jam, you're going to get the juices easier. So working with frozen berries is totally fine when you're doing the jams or jellies. 
Um, in fact, there's some pie recipes I can um, homemade pie filling as well. And like for cherry pie filling, the berries need to be frozen and then thawed before you even do your cherry pie filling. So it's kind of like the first step. So for me, that's just fantastic. I toss my fruit in the freezer and when I have time, then I can get to it. Um, and that also works really good too if you want to make some jams and jellies up at Christmas time and you don't have time, um, you can throw them in the freezer and then pull them out in the middle of winter and make them you for dips as well. So that's something that we do if I don't have time to get to it all. But because my freezer space, uh, we butcher in the fall. So this year we're butchering um, our pigs and cattle. So I'm not going to have a lot of extra space in my freezer for all the berries come um, September and October when we butcher. So I try to make up most of my jams and jellies um, in the beginning of September through August as I harvest the fruit. But you can freeze it as well, which is really awesome. I love that. <laughs> um, so the difference between jams and jellies, if you don't know, is jam is made from the crushed up fruit. So you'll have actual pureed fruit or chunks of the fruit if you like your jam a little bit more on the chunky side. My husband likes to use quite smooth and pureed, and I actually prefer some chunks of fruit in mine. So we usually kind of go middle of the road <laughs> so that we're both happy. Um, and jelly is made from the juice of the fruit. So you're straining all the juice out from the fruit when you make jelly, and it just is made from the juice. So that's the difference between jam and jelly, if you didn't know that. And then a lot of the reasons um, some people will make jelly is because they don't like a lot of the seeds. And so sometimes if you have you know, medical condition like digestitis and that kind of a thing, um, you can't have the seeds. So making jelly is an option for you. Um, one of the things that I typically do make jelly or syrup um, out of is blackberries. So we have the um, invasive blackberries around here. I jokingly say that we grow blackberries, but they're just like a weed. They grow wild here. In fact, our, um, the weed board here, they're classified as a noxious weed because they are really invasive and overtaking. Um, we have uh, Himalayan blackberry um, and then a couple other varieties so they have quite large seeds in them though and so i take the seeds out and usually do blackberry jelly and also do blackberry syrup just because i don't like the large seeds um and then like blueberries they their seeds are so minuscule don't even there's really not seed in them it doesn't get caught in your teeth so i prefer to do jam when it's possible so like with uh, strawberries and um, obviously rhubarb, um, I do jam with those, and I don't make those into jelly. Um, I do blueberry jam. And my raspberries, um, so my raspberries do have some seeds, and so I kind of jokingly say I make jammy <laughs> with my raspberries. And so what I mean by that is I have my great-grandmother's sieve, actually, um, which I just think is so cool that they made stuff so well back then that she handed down from generation to generation, um, and is still totally usable and works great. So I have her sieve and so I like to put the raspberries through the sieve and so what that does is if you're not familiar with a sieve um, it's made out of metal and it's conical. It's in a cone shape. So think of like um, a cone that's turned upside down and so you have the wider opening at the top and in that is there's little holes perforated through the metal or aluminum depending on what it was made from and so then you have a large wooden pointed dowel that fits in the cone and so you put your fruit in there and you smash it and then you run and then you have like your it's like a pestle basically kind of like a mortar and pestle but it has holes in it so you push the fruit through it and so the seeds get can't go through the holes but the 
so juicy that you don't have to pre-heat um, those or check them to get the juices to run out. So I just put the raspberries in raw and then I run it and push it through the sieve. And so some of the seeds go through. So the finer seeds will actually go through the sieve because it doesn't have a really, really fine um, mesh. The holes are a little bit larger. But what I like about that is it also allows the actual berry to go through it as well. So um, what I'm doing is I'm capturing probably about half to two-thirds of the seeds don't go through, so then it's not as, you know, you don't get caught in your teeth and that kind of a thing. And so um, it's kind of like half jelly and half jam, but it still has the actual fruit in it, which I prefer. Um, and it's also good when you are doing homemade jams and jellies. I prefer jam because when you allow the skin and the whole part of the berry into it, if it's a berry that has some naturally higher levels of pectin in it, then you get a much easier set. Um, and then you also have the fibers and the different things that are in the skin of the fruit, which is healthy for you, into your jam. So um, I try to do jam when possible, and so that's kind of what I do with the raspberries. Um, and then I was talking about those high, high levels of sugar and how I don't like them. <laughs> so I have really done a lot of different research and tried out a ton of different recipes and come up with quite a few of my own recipes that are a low sugar and with no store-bought pectin. Um, one, because store-bought pectin, um, now liquid store-bought pectin has some ingredients in it that um, have been linked to carcinogenics um, and just have different preservatives and chemicals in them that I don't like. So um, the other problem is with the powdered pectin is most of them rely on the large amounts of sugar for the set. And so I don't like that aspect either. And then two, pectin can get expensive. Um, you know, I try to do all of the home preserving that I can, but I like to do it as inexpensively as possible. So when we grow our own fruit, I've eliminated a lot of cost there. So it um, keeps it down. And then if you're not putting the huge amounts of sugar, then that eliminates your cost too. And I always like to think of it too, you know, if you're looking at it, you know, if something ever happened, um, and I couldn't rely on the stores. Do I have means of making these things on my own? And so if all my jams and jellies I'm relying on store-bought pectin, um, I'm going to kind of be hurting if I don't have that store-bought pectin available to me later on. And so that's another reason I like to try to find recipes that don't quite rely on as much of the store-bought options. And so um, I have found, so natural sources of pectin and what most of the store-bought pectin has in it is we've got, there's natural occurs naturally in fruits. It's highest usually in citrus fruits, so lemon and lime, and then actually green apples are three sources of really naturally high pectin. And grapes actually have a ton of pectin in them too. So if you're making grape jelly, um, you generally do not need any other source of pectin. Um, it'll set up just great on its own. So those are three ways that you have naturally pectin is your lime, lemon, and then green apples, especially crab apples. So ways to harvest that pectin when you're making your own homemade jams and jellies, um, and this is what I really utilize in a lot of my low sugar recipes, um, and that is to, when you're using the um, lemon and the lime, is the main source of the pectin is actually in the peel. So you're gonna wanna zest it. So zesting is just a fancy word for using the finest um, holes on your grater and you're just grating the peel of the lemon or the lime to create your zest. And you don't want the white part, the pith of the peel, because that's bitter tasting. 
Um, and so you're going to just vest off the color, basically, of the peel. So just the yellow part of the green part, which is for the lemon and the limes. And then um, for the apples, you actually want them kind of underripe. So Granny Smith um, for crab apples work great. And I love this because we use the crab apple um, tree as a pollinator. Crab apples have a really long blossom time period and will cross-pollinate a lot of other apple trees um, in your orchard. So we actually put in a crab apple this year as a pollinator. But then you don't have to worry about letting those apples go to waste um, because they have fabulous additions to jams and jellies and syrups. So you can take the crab apples, and they're best when they're, um, you know, so you don't want to be overripe. You want them to be firm because they have a higher level of pectin in them when they're that way. And so leaving the peel on, the peel is important. You're going to grate the apple into your recipe, and so that's going to give you the natural pectin source. And so this is what my grandmother and my mother actually used to do because up here, naturally, um, we don't have citrus. <laughs> We're too cold. And so we don't have um, a natural way to grow at home anyways, unless we purchase it from the store, which I do now, um, lemons and limes. But we have lots of access to green apples, especially crab apples. So my grandma never purchased store-bought pectin. And my mom um, did it either when I was growing up because when um, times are hard and you don't have extra money, you don't want to purchase the store-bought pectin to add an expense. So she made all of her jams and jellies um using the apple and so you're, you'll grade up one apple usually um, to the batch and you'll just finally grade that up and let it simmer in with your jam and jelly when you're making it and you don't taste it um, and you really don't taste depending on how much of the lemon and lime you put in mind you now i kind of like um a little bit of the, the lemon and lime taste with certain berries um, i think it actually enhances and brings it out but you don't get an overwhelming taste. When you add the apple, you actually don't really get any taste of the apple. So don't be worried that it's going to be affecting the taste of your jam and jelly and making it taste different. Um, it's really not. So it's important to know when you're making homemade jams and jellies um, that some of the berries have high enough acidic content in them that they don't require the addition of any acid. Um, and so those berries, especially, now this is especially true when you're doing a low sugar, like that I do, um, because sugar actually can be antimicrobial. Um, it helps absorb the extra liquid, um, which bacteria likes to grow in. So the berries, when you're doing low sugar or honey um, in the recipes, that do not require extra acid added to it would be strawberries, um, kiwis, currants, raspberries, gooseberries, sour blackberries, sour cherry, sour plum, and pineapple. So those you don't have to add your extra acid to. You're just going to be adding your sugar and what your the pectin level that you're using. Or your pectin medium, excuse me. And so then we have though now so these are the, the berries um, that you're going to need to add acid to. And so by the form of acid that we use, especially in, um, when we're doing jam and jellies, is either lemon or lime juice. So those add an extra level of acidity, which is going to keep that shelf stable. Now, if you're making it and throwing it in the freezer, um, then you don't really need to worry about adding um, the extra acid so much because it's going to be in the freezer and it's fine. But this is for canning because I can all of my jam and jellies. Um, one, it's shelf stable. When the power goes out, we lose power every year, especially in the wintertime, sometimes multiple times. Um, I don't have to worry about all my jams and jellies going bad because they're shelf stable. And then secondly, I don't have enough room in my freezers for all the jams and jellies that I put up um, because we don't buy any from the store. And so I typically put up, oh goodness, I'm going to say about 
15 to 20 jars of jams and jelly, and some of those I give away as gifts at Christmas time, and then um, we use them throughout the year. So um, I really don't have room in my freezer for all of that. So I don't do freezer jams. So if you are canning this, then um, you need to add, now, so the, the measurements is to four cups of your mashed or simmered fruit, you're going to need a quarter cup lemon or lime juice. So obviously, if you're doing a bigger batch, then you're going to need to, you know, um, double that to the equivalent there. So you're doing eight cups, you're going to need a half cup. So the berries that do require the added acidity when you're using the lower sugar is blueberry, uh, sweet blackberry, mulberries, elderberries, ripe quince, um, apple, sweet cherry, sweet plum, peach, apricot, pear, fig, mango, and guava. And then if you're doing jelly, so for just doing the syrup, um, then you always want to add in the acid level. And it's the same with the quarter cup lemon or lime juice, two to four cups of fruit juice that you're using to make the jams and jellies. Um, and that's because you lose, um, when you're taking out the skin of the berry, you're losing some of the acid that's naturally in there. So um, no matter what kind of um, syrup you're using, if you're doing jelly or sweetened fruit, when you're doing jelly, you're going to want to add the acidity to it. So um, that is a list there so that you know of. So um, one of the things, if you don't have the um, lemon or the limes, and usually for me, now this is especially true when you're doing no store-bought pectin recipes, smaller batches are, you have to do a small batch where you're not going to get a set. So what I mean by that is if the recipe says four cups of mashed fruit, um, and then your sugar, and then whatever your natural pectin is in the acid, you cannot double or triple it. It will not set. And this is even true with store-bought pectin. Um, trust me. Um, one year, the first year I was making jam, um, I decided, well, this is silly to make three batches. That takes way too much time. I'm going to put it all together in this big old huge pot, and I'm going to make a huge batch of strawberry jam. So that's exactly what I did. And none of it set. I had strawberry syrup coming out my ears for a year. And the reason for that is when you do, even though it's the same ratio of ingredients, when you double and triple it, it doesn't set. So you need to do small batches. I know it takes a little bit longer, but other, if you want runny syrup, um, which is great, and ice cream and yogurt and that kind of a thing, um, then you can try and do the double and triple batches. But if you want it to set, I have not had good experience in trying to make the larger batches. It sets much better in smaller batches. Um, the one um, is, caveat to that, actually, though, is if you use Pominus pectin, which is the only store-bought pectin that I will use, um, Pominus pectin, and I have a hard time finding it, especially in large supermarkets. Um, I found it online. found it online from um, Amazon and World Market, and I found it at our local co-op, but only in season. So I've only been able to find it at our local co-op in the summer months. Um, and Pominus pectin, which is... Um, he is in Paul, O, and is in Mary, O, and is in Nancy, um, A, S. And so I love Pominus Pectin. Um, what I like about it is it actually uses calcium water instead of sugar for the set. And it's um, a powdered pectin, and it's made naturally from your citrus fruits, and they don't add a whole bunch of icky, junky chemicals to it. And because it doesn't use those huge, huge, huge amounts of sugar for the set, you can make really low sugar recipes, and you can also use honey with it. It has the measurements to use honey. Now, if you're going to use honey, 
in your recipes, honey is actually um, sweeter than sugar, and so you usually use less honey than you would sugar in a recipe. Um, but also it gives the nutrients for using honey as well. And then you can, um, so the recipes that they have it can be double, triple, tabbed, or quartered. So you can do the math out accordingly and it will still set. Um, but if you're not using the pulmonous pectin, if you're using the natural pectin, and so uh, the pulmonous pectin is about, I think it's about 340 for a box. And depending on the size of the batches you're going to do, you can usually get like three to four box batches out of a box. Um, which I like because usually when you buy the other pectins in the store, you can only do like one, maybe two runs most. So I really like that it stretches that far. Um, but it still is an added expense. So if it's recipes um, or if it's berries that I'm using that I know have kind of a natural high pectin level in them anyways, and I can use um, whatever natural pectin source I have at home without purchasing it, then that's the route that I go. But for some of the things, um, I do really like to use the pulmonary pectin. Um, I actually used it when I did um, my raspberry jelly. I used the pulmonary pectin in. But when I'm doing um, cherry, strawberry, and blueberry, I do my own recipe, which is a low sugar, no store-bought pectin recipe. Um, and so the the cherry and the strawberry, I use lemon with because I love I love the strawberry with the lemon. It's the lemon is a you get a hint of the lemon, and so it's kind of like strawberry lemonade, but not as strong. And so I really like the way that the lemon pairs with the strawberries. It's one of my favorites. And then with the blueberries, oh my goodness, you guys, I just created a new recipe, and I am like in love. I swear, it's the best jams that we've ever had. Like, I, <laughs> so confession time. So I was making it and, uh, you know, I was checking the set and then I poured it into the jars and I had a little bit left over that wouldn't fill a whole jar. And so whenever I'm making jam or jellies, you have it that won't go all the way up to the headspace. And with jams and jellies, your headspace is a quarter inch. So headspace is um, from the top of the jar down to where the level of the food comes up to. So jams and jellies is a quarter inch. And so when I was pouring it in, um, I had a jar that was only like a quarter of the way full, and you can't can that. If you don't have it up to the headspace, you don't have enough, and that's what you put in the freezer, or pop that baby in the fridge, and that's what you get to eat right then and there. And so it was supposed, it was going to go in the fridge, and I was letting it cool down and set, and then of course I had to taste test it um, again and check the set, and I might have kind of eaten most of it, because um, it was really good. So if blueberry was lying, can I tell you? The blueberry paired with the lime is like the best ever. It was so good. Um, I plan on making like probably like five batches of this. <laughs> I'm waiting for the rest of my blueberries to hurry up and ripe, so I, ripen up so I can make some more. It was really good. And so it's um, four cups of mashed blueberries, which for me that was about six cups, five and a half to six cups of full blueberries. And then I pureed them up with my allergen blender to get four cups of the uh, mashed up fruit. And then it was a quarter cup lime juice, and I used, that was two limes for me. I got a quarter cup lime juice, the zest of the two limes, and then I used one and a quarter cup sugar. So the sugar ratio is really low um, in comparison to the berries, which I love. And so put all that in a big old pot and bring it to a boil and then turn it down to a simmer, and you need to stir it um, frequently so that it doesn't burn. And it took about 20 to 25 minutes of that simmering before I got my set. And so... Um, 
when you're doing the no packing ones, you have to let it simmer for a little bit, and what that does is it starts to evaporate off the water, um, and it sets the sugar, and the pectin has um, time to disperse into it so that you get your set. So um, you check check the set, and I use the sheeting method, and the sheeting method is simply you use a metal spoon, dip it into your jam and jelly, and then look at the drip. So if it drips off and it's really running as it's dripping off the spoon, it's not set. Let it simmer some more. Um, if you start to get globs that come off, it's at, like it's starting to set. And the goal is you want it to sheet off of the spoon. So you want all of the jam or, jam or jelly that's coming off the spoon to come off and drip off in a sheet instead of individual globs or drips. So that's the method that I use, and then when that happens, I know that it's set, pull it off the heat, and then it will continue to set as it cools down once it does the sheeting test off of your spoon. So that's how I know when I'm doing the homemade ones, um, and if, you know, you don't have a specific time, that's when I know that it's set. So um, I have, and I will put in the show notes, so at melissaknrs.com under recipes, I have a whole preserving category. And so all of my homemade jams and jellies that I do that don't require store-bought pectin, um, I have tutorials, uh, full pictures to walk you through the steps of canning with the canning instructions. Most of my jams and jellies are, um, all of them are water bath canning because they are natural acidity in them or you're adding acidity in their safe to water bath can. And most of my jars and recipes process for 10 minutes in a water bath can. But I have total, you know, you can fill out the recipes um, and pictures and stuff to go, to go to. So I will um, have that in the show notes, the link to all of those recipes. And then we're going to get to our question of the week, which is a new feature here on the show. And the question of the week that I had was, um, someone sent in and they said, um, when we were small, my stepmother canned spaghetti sauce, and when we used it, we all got sick. This was in 1960, and I'm a little afraid of canning because of this. Are things with tomatoes in them more likely to go bad or maybe get contaminated easier? So the key with tomatoes is tomatoes can be water bath cans, but you have to add acid to them. And so the form of acid can either be concentrated lemon juice or vinegar. And that's because the acidity level of tomatoes over the years has been bred out of them. And so you need to add acid to them to make sure that they stay safe when they're on the shelf. So tomatoes are absolutely something that you can can and water bath, but you need to make sure that you're adding the acid level to them. So I hope that you are inspired to go and make jams and jellies. And I would love to hear any recipes or tips that you have. And make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.